Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So it's Micah chapter 5, starting to read from verse 4. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. When the Assyrian invades our land and marches through our fortresses, we will raise against him seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. They will rule the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. He will deliver from the Assyrian. He will deliver us from the Assyrian when he invades our land and marches into our borders. The remnants of Jacob will be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the, on the grass, which do not wait for man or linger for mankind. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which mauls and mangles as it goes, and no one can rescue. Your hand will be lifted up in triumph over your enemies, and all your foes will be destroyed. In that day, declares the Lord, I will destroy your horses from among you and demolish your chariots. I will destroy the cities of your land and tear down all your strongholds. I will destroy your witchcraft And you will no longer cast spells. I will destroy your carved images and your sacred stones from among you. You will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will uproot you from I will uproot from among you your Asherah poles and demolish your cities. I will take vengeance in anger and wrath upon the nations that have not obeyed me. Good morning, Joe. Thank you very much for reading for us, and uh, well done for navigating your way through the twin challenges of a new service time and the snow. It is very good to have you here this morning. Um, you, you might find it helpful to have to hand the uh, little outline I put together for the sermon for the next few moments. You'll find that in the bundle you received on the way in, and you will definitely find it helpful to have Micah chapter 5 uh, open. It's on page 933 if you've just closed it, and uh, let me pray for God's help this morning. Father, we do acknowledge that we need your help this morning as we come to your word. We need your help to believe. We need your help not just to believe, but to leave here this morning changed and able to hold on to your promises this week. And so we ask for your help. Please help me as I speak to be faithful and clear, and for all of us, that we would listen very carefully to your wonderful word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love Christmas. I, uh, I love the snow. Um, I love the food and uh, the, the, the fun, the festive cheer, the time with family. Um, I love, even um, in, my, in my better moments, when I um, pause to, re- to reflect and think, I, I love Christmas because of the Christmas story, the, 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 the reality that um, God has taken on flesh to come and dwell among us, Emmanuel, God with us. I, I love Christmas. I love this time of year. 
However, I'm not so sure about life after Christmas. I'm not wanting to spoil the festive cheer of, of this day, but um, when life after Christmas comes, there'll be um, pine needles in the carpet and um, thank you notes to write. There'll be um, presents perhaps to take to charity shops. Uh, the, uh, the shock of stepping on the scales after all the food, the drudgery of dark January days, and um, the cares and concerns of our lives, which perhaps for a season we can put on hold and numb with the festive cheer, but once that's gone, they come back to the surface with a vengeance. Uh, I know for many, Christmas can be a very hard time of year, but um, life after Christmas can be hard too. And Micah chapter 5 is here to help us love life after Christmas. I, I say this because um, the first three verses of Micah chapter 5, which we looked at last week, well, they are a vision that Micah had of a future, 700, 700 years in the future. Uh, Micah saw that in God's time, he would send a baby born in Bethlehem who is the king of the world, and he would grow up to rescue his people. In other words, Micah saw all those years ago, Christmas would come. And the rest of Micah chapter five, our reading this morning, he sees what life will be like for the people of God after this first Christmas. And this morning, these are precious words They are words of great comfort and hope, words that uh, give us uh, meaning in a confused world and orientate us when we're lost, and they give us a a platform for our feet. For those who are trusting in this baby born at Christmas, they are wonderful words, uh, for they are words about us today, uh, words about the church, the people of God. And um, if you are new to us, just visiting, you're very welcome this morning. But um, if you uh, come and listen to what it means to be part of the people of God and see how wonderful it is to live life after Christmas. You'll see in your handouts our first point. For God's people, life after this first Christmas means, first of all, it means security and peace. Speaking about the baby born in Bethlehem, verse four, Micah says, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the, name, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely. Look at verse five, and he will be their peace. What a promise this is, security and peace. The baby born in Bethlehem will grow up to be a shepherd for his people, bringing them lasting security and peace. And so for us here this morning, living on this side of the Christmas moment, he is our shepherd now, even today. Uh, this last summer, Lauren and I went on holiday, and uh, we stayed in a cottage on a, a working farm. And one morning, we looked out the window, and we saw in the field outside the window a, a sheep on its own. Uh, no other sheep in the field. It was just there on its own, looking very sorry for itself. I'm not sure how you can tell a sheep looking for, sorry for itself, but we decided it was looking sorry for itself. It looked a little bit confused, a little bit lost. It was sort of walking around aimlessly. And uh, being kind and compassionate, I decided to ignore it. But... Um, 
every morning for the next few days without having a nice breakfast. And now there's this poor sheep looking at us from the field. It didn't go anywhere, just on its own. And I think getting more and more bewildered and confused as the days went on. And eventually, uh, one of us uh, rang up uh, the local farmer and said, did you know about this sheep in the field? And, and they didn't. Uh, they, uh, d- if for those who love animals, fear not, the, uh, the shepherd came and rescued the sheep and all worked out happily ever after. But uh, I tell you the story because even the best human shepherds, and this was a good shepherd, even the best human shepherds have their limitations. Even the best shepherds are at times unaware of particular sheep who are able to escape from uh, well-thought-through pens. Even the best shepherds are unaware that somewhere a sheep is in great peril. And in a room this size, when I say that life after Christmas means security and peace because a shepherd is looking after us, there'll be some who say, really? Have you seen my life recently? Do you know what this coming year holds for me? I am the sheep, if you like, that has got got away from the shepherd who cares. But the shepherd of Micah chapter 5 is different from every other shepherd in this world. His strength, verse 4, comes from the Lord. And the scope of his care, well, it reaches to the end of the earth. Which means there is no threat, no field, no scenario that can take his sheep away from the protection of the one true shepherd. And so, whatever lies before us this morning, as we think about life beyond Christmas, the new year coming, whatever comes to mind, whatever fears and concerns we have, we face them knowing that the Lord, the true shepherd, Christ himself, is personally looking after us to ensure our security and peace. It is wonderful news. And yet still there'll be many in the room this morning thinking, my life just doesn't feel as if the good shepherd is looking after me. It doesn't feel secure and safe. And that's why the next few verses are so important for us because they show us what kind of security and peace will come from this shepherd Look at verse five. He will be their peace, but then when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses, he will raise up against him seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. Later on in verse six, that talks about the land of Nimrod, and that's just another name for Babylon. And so in verses five and six, uh, Micah sees in the future uh, two of the worst enemies you can think of, the Assyrians and the great Babylonian empires sort of marching up against God's people in the future, Um, a moment of real peril. And remember, this happens after Christmas, after the shepherd is looking after his people, and yet still comes this great threat of Assyria and Babylon. I think in five and six, uh, symbolic threats Uh, representing uh, the threats that come to God's people um, today. But the crucial difference this time in the life after Christmas is that there is a shepherd who will protect his people. So over the page, end of verse six, Micah says, he will deliver us from the Assyrian when he invades our land and marches into our borders. 
You see, threats will come to God's people after Christmas, but those threats will not succeed. The Lord will protect his people. Some years ago, on a rarely sunny day in um, Scotland, my family were out in the garden. We were having a picnic lunch in the sun, and... um, we don't quite know how it happens, but uh, we were just a few meters from the back door around a hedge, and uh, in the course of about half an hour over lunch, um, someone broke into the back door of our house while we were in the garden. And um, they managed to steal a few things, and um, they made off, and they were never caught. And um, the, uh, the financial implication wasn't great. They only took a few small things. But if you've ever been broken into and experienced your own private space being invaded that way, then you'll know what it does to you psychologically. You think, if it's happened once, then it could happen again. And it changes how you feel about your safety in your own home. In Micah's day, the Assyrians and Babylonians attack and destroy and overwhelm the people of God. And it's devastating. We've been looking at that through our studies in Micah. But then Micah sees a a day in the future where the shepherd will come and and protect his people. But you can imagine him thinking, well, how can we be certain it won't happen again? If the Assyrians can come and destroy our our security once, how can we be certain that when they come a second time, the Lord will protect us and keep us safe? I think that's the dynamic here in Micah 5. But the great news is that because there's a true shepherd looking after the people, enemies might come, threats will be there, but they will not overwhelm or destroy the people of God. Never again will the security be broken. Of course, fully and finally, this is a promise that stretches into the new creation, that there's a a security and a peace which lasts through every threat in this life, even through death itself, into life beyond the grave, into the new creation. And the true shepherd will keep his people safe. They will never be overwhelmed ever again under his care. I think of today around the world, there are many Christians facing very real physical threats, not from the Assyrians or Babylonians, but uh, from other equally terrifying forces. Think of uh, Christians in North Korea, in Egypt, Central Asia, and many parts of Africa, and I could go on and on. But Micah chapter five is a great comfort. Though enemies may come, They will never conquer the people of God. The shepherd will keep his people safe, even if it means keeping them safe through death. Thinking about our own context here and forward, we, by God's grace, don't experience that level of of threat, of physical violence, but yet we still experience enemies gathering around who seek to invade our world and overtake us. In the New Testament, uh, we read about the threats from the world, the flesh, and the devil, that seek to discourage us and lead us away from our trust in God. I wonder, for many of us, the threat might be old age. As our bodies get older, as we start to get weaker, often there can be chronic health, pain, and the reality that our health may never improve, but perhaps even get worse until we die, is a hard reality. It feels like an enemy invading our world, rocking our security and peace. 
Or if we have a loved one who we have watched as their mind fails, their memory goes, and the promises that they knew so clearly from God's word in the past, they start to find hard to remember, and it can be very distressing, wondering, will they stray in that moment of sickness? Well, the great message of Micah 5 is that the true shepherd will keep his people secure and at peace through every threat, through this life, even through death, into the new creation. But just before we move on, I wonder if you spotted one surprising detail about how this true shepherd keeps his people safe. It's there in verse 5. When the Assyrians come, Micah says, <coughs> we will raise up against him seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. They will rule the land of Assyria with the sword. I'm no military expert, but um, it doesn't quite make sense, the, um, the strategy in verse five. Imagine a, a huge army gathered against you. You can imagine the chariots and the spears glinting in the sunshine, thousands upon thousands marching towards you, and uh, you're, you're completely stuck. There's no army coming to rescue you, and um, what do you do? Well, you open the gates and send out Seven shepherds, that will do it. Maybe eight, that will be enough to defeat an army. That, that's the picture of Micah 5, isn't it? Uh, how's that going to work against such enemies? Well, in the Bible, uh, the number seven is often used to represent perfection or, or fullness. To have seven leaders, or even eight, means that in these days after Christmas, God's people will have sufficient shepherds to care for them, enough to go around to face every need. And who are these shepherds? Well, in the New Testament, uh, we find the Bible talking about under-shepherds who come, not, not the true shepherd, but under-shepherds who, um, in his strength, care for the flock whilst he's away. Speaking of church leaders, and the weapons that they wield, not swords made of metal, but the word of God, And the true shepherd cares for his sheep by providing under-shepherds to wield the word of God to protect us from the threat around us, to keep us going through this life into the life to come. And as we hear and as we stand on and believe God's word, we are kept secure and at peace. And this means for the sheep, we must look for leaders who will preach God's word faithfully. It is how we are protected in life after Christmas. I'm always worried for people when they fail to settle into a local church. They're always moving around or they don't make coming on a Sunday a real priority because what they're doing is they're cutting themselves off from the thing that will protect them. God's word brought to bear by the under shepherds in life after Christmas. Well, for God's people, life after the first Christmas means lasting security and peace. Next, you'll see in our handout, it means in this life after Christmas, significance and purpose. After the wonderful news of verses four to six, it would be easy, wouldn't it, to want to sort of bunker down in this world just to sort of keep ourselves safe until Christ returns and all the threats taken away. But God's people have a role to play until Christ returns. And it is a significant one. Look at verse seven. 
Micah says, the remnants of Jacob, that is the church today, us here this morning, will be, like, will be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass. <coughs> it is easy to miss the points here, I think, in this country. Uh, we're not short of rain, but in Israel, a hot and dusty country, rain, dew, they were seen as blessings, life-bringing essentials for grass to glow and life to flourish. And a day is coming, says Micah, a day after the first Christmas when God's people will be among the nations like cool rain on a scorching day, bringing life and refreshment to the world. It is a picture of what happens today through the church as we proclaim the good news of Christ, the gospel, to a a parched world. As I was walking around my road this week, uh, passing out carol service flyers, as I'm sure many of you have been doing over the last week or so, I was thinking about this very verse. I was thinking, what difference would this flyer make to someone's life if they took it and read it and came to a carol service and then heard the message of life in Christ. And then I was thinking about how many other flyers come through the letterbox around Christmas time from any and every direction. Flyers that uh, tempt us with with gifts and with food and with distractions and with all kinds of promises of, of life being better if only we purchase and and buy and and live for uh, these things. Indeed, so many people in the world around us uh, try to make us think that if we buy the right food or the right presence or have the right mix of family and the right dynamics, then somehow our world could be peaceful and secure. But that's why, partly, isn't it, life after Christmas can be so deflating because no presents, no food, no drink... No amount of rest can truly quench our thirst and bring us life. We live in a parched land. And the good news is that the church has been made a steward of the gospel. And in the world around us, amongst the nations, we are like rain on a hot, dry day. We are like a drink of water for those who are thirsty. We have good news of eternal life to give to people who are desperate for meaning and answers and security. And so as I put the flyer through the letterbox, I prayed that they would see it and they would come and have a drink, a gospel drink. And I guess uh, understanding Micah 5 will help us to be bold. This is our purpose as a church. We are to be Jew amongst the nations. I, I was chatting with a friend this week. I, I invited them to the carol service and um, they politely made their excuses. They had too much on, life was too busy and they, they wouldn't come this year. And I guess many of us have had that kind of reaction. And it is easy, isn't it, to lose our nerve. We don't want to hassle people. You know, we kind of don't want to be annoying. But uh, if we really believe Micah chapter 5, that our message, the gospel message, is like a cool drink on a hot day, then we'll have the boldness we need to go on inviting and talking about Jesus. And so can I encourage you? Even this afternoon, throughout this coming week, there's still plenty of time to be inviting people and talking about Christ with our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors. It is our purpose as a church, the people of God, until Christ returns. 
For God's people, life after Christmas means significance and purpose. It means being Jew, but it also means being an agent of destruction. And I say this because of verse 8. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a young lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among a flock of sheep. This is a picture of, um, of destruction. In the days of Assyria, God's people were the helpless prey being mauled by the great lion of Assyria, but a day is coming when there's a great reversal and the prey becomes the lion and the lion becomes the prey. And the people of God, so mocked and maligned amongst the nations, will become the victorious ones. Indeed, they will become the ones who are, in a sense, the agent of destruction in the world. Verse 8 is not talking about (coughs) a physical war. That would be a terrible mistake to make. We're not called to take up physical arms against the nations. It is a call to go on preaching the gospel in the world around us. For as people hear the gospel, they hear life and believe or they reject it and their destruction comes. The church has been made a trustee of the gospel and as we preach the gospel, we are having the twin effect of being like Jew for some but we're being, in a sense, the cause of destruction for others. If they hear our gospel message and they turn away in scorn and try to malign what they hear, it might work for a season, but a day is coming when they will be destroyed because of their rejection. I think of the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians as he describes his own ministry as he proclaimed Christ, and he says that to some, he was the aroma of life as he preached the gospel, but the same message to others had about it the smell of death. And for those who smelt death, well, their destination was indeed death. And for us, as we follow in Paul's footsteps, proclaiming the gospel that Paul preached, that we too will be for some the aroma of life, but for others, the smell of death. Either way, we have a very significant role to play amongst the nations. And it is a thought, isn't it, that as people arrive tonight and throughout this coming week to carol services, these moments aren't just moments of festive cheer and a chance to sing well-known classics, but they are moments of life and death for people to hear and believe, but for some, they will turn away desperately. These moments matter. Do be praying for their response in the next couple of weeks. For God's people... Life after this first Christmas is a life of significance and purpose. Finally, you'll see in the handout, it's a life of sanctification and purity. Micah's vision of the future after Christmas now turns away from the nations and it turns instead to the people of God. And what he sees is both wonderful and, well, it's uncomfortable as well. He sees the Lord at work to remove all the things that would take our hearts away from the Lord. So verses 10 and 11, he sees um, horses and chariots being taken away. He sees uh, cities and strongholds being undone. <coughs> Excuse me. For these are things that in Micah's day the people turned to for their security um, and it took them away from trusting the Lord for their ultimate security. Verse 12, he talks about... Um, 
witchcraft and superstition. 13 and 14 talks about idolatry, at the worship of and reliance on other gods instead of the one true God. And again and again, we have seen in Micah that the people in his day were prone to, to moving away from the Lord and trusting in other gods. But a day is coming, says Micah, when the Lord, in his kindness, will take away all the things that compete for our affection in our hearts. The Lord's plan isn't simply to keep his people safe, sort of wrapped up in cotton wool until now, from now until the new creation. His plan is more than that. It is to transform us now in the present by removing these things that tug at our hearts until one day when Christ returns, we are perfected in our love and loyalty. Tim Keller, the, uh, the preacher and, and writer, uh, tells the story of a, a lumberjack who heads out in, into the woods one day and uh, he spots a terrible forest fire swooping down from the hills. I guess you can imagine what's happening in California at the moment. And uh, he sees in the path of this forest fire swooping down from the hill, he sees a little bird on a, on a tree stump. It, it's made its nest on the stump. Uh, it's, it's home, it's a place of security and it's obvious what's gonna happen. So the, uh, the lumberjack goes to the, to the base of the tree trunk and starts to hammer on the, the base of the trunk. He, he's shouting and making noises and he shakes it. And, and the bird is annoyed by the um, disruption to its peace. And it kind of, it's, it sort of wiggles around but stays in its nest. The, the lumberjack goes on banging and shouting. And eventually the bird is fed up and it, it hops from the, the one place to, over to the next tree trunk. Not very far. And it settles down on that branch the same thing happens again. The lumberjack shouts and bangs and hollers and the tree shakes, the bird hops, shouts, bangs, hollers. Finally, the bird had, had enough of this uh, pesky lumberjack and he, he flies away properly high up into the sky, away from the valley to a whole different part of the country and lands high up in the trees on a ballot safe far from the threat of the fire. It's not a perfect illustration, but I think it helps us understand something of what the Lord is doing among his people today. Uh, we are so often like that bird. We, we make a home that, in a place that looks safe and secure. It looks like a sensible spot to settle down. But we are unaware of how dangerous it is for us. And the Lord in his kindness comes and shakes us and makes a noise. He makes us uncomfortable so that we, we move away from a false security to a place of true security. And at times we may not thank him for it but it's done to help us and out of love. And Micah chapter five shows us the Lord's plan for his people, increasingly sanctifying us, giving us pure hearts that love him alone. It's not a perfect illustration, but um, I think it's uh, one example I've been thinking through in my own life. Um, I know that in my own heart it's easy to um, slip into self-reliance I look at my diary and my list of things to do and I think my best plan is to work as hard as I can in my own strength and I'll get things done if all goes well. Often self-reliance goes hand in hand with a lack of prayer, a lack of trusting in God. And I see that happening at times in my own heart. I, I, I rely on myself and not on the Lord and of course that's an incredibly um, dangerous place to be. And so often the Lord, when that happens, uh, humbles, corrects, um, maybe it's um, poor health. Uh, maybe it's a, uh, understanding that actually my own strength isn't enough. It isn't always easy. 
but um, he is lovingly at work amongst us to wean us off things that take our trust away from him. Please don't um, mishear me though. When I talk about our lives being shaken, when I talk about feeling uncomfortable, not all shaking, not all discomfort is about sanctification. Sometimes our world falls apart and it has nothing to do with our sin or idols. I think of the man in John's Gospel, John 9, a man born blind, a man who endured years of pain. And Jesus is very clear that his pain was not as a result of his sin, not at all. And I know there are some here today who are going through terrible times of real suffering and it has nothing to do whatsoever with misplaced trust or our need to be sanctified. So let's not misuse Micah 5 as if it's the only passage in the Bible about why God might allow suffering. The answer is far too complicated for that. And no, often as our understanding of suffering um, exhaustive, we just don't know what God is doing in our suffering. Um, I know at times we might be able to step back and realize after a while that actually, oh, because of this hardship, actually I've learned this thing about God, but, but so often we can't see what he's doing and why. I think of a good friend of mine who was diagnosed with serious cancer at a very young age. Thankfully, they are still alive today, but to this day, I can see no good purpose that has come from the cancer. Not at all, not one bit. And so again, let's not be too quick to think that we can understand and unravel all of God's purposes in hard times. The Bible is far too nuanced to give a one-line answer to these big questions. But without being simplistic, Micah 5 does help us to ask one question through suffering, through our world being shaken up. How can I use this time of pain to put my trust increasingly in the Lord? There is a great promise here, I think, in Micah 5 that one day the battle will be over. One day our hearts will be so reordered that we will look nowhere else but to the Lord for our security and peace. Life after Christmas can be hard, but uh, we've seen this morning from Micah 5 that for the people of God, life after the first Christmas is a life of ultimate security, of ultimate purpose, and of ultimate transformation. We see it now in part, and one day when Christ returns, we will see it in all its fullness, and what a day that will be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the long-awaited baby born in Bethlehem, the king of the world, our great shepherd. We thank you for what it means to live this side of Christmas, to live as part of your people. Father, please help us to cherish uh, the truths of your word, to cherish the fact that we are a people kept safe and secure in your uh, careful oversight of our lives, a people with uh, real significance and purpose called to make the most of our days that you give us. People being 
transformed to trust in you alone. Father, please, in this coming year, whatever happens to us, help us to be a people who go on trusting in our great shepherd until the day we see him face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.